5AA Nights with Matthew Pantelis. Now, let's uh, talk with Paul Marich from carexpert.com.au. G'day, Paul. How are you? I'm good, mate. How's it going? All right, thank you. Now, I see you've uh, had delivery of the Model Y, the Tesla Model Y. This is the big one, isn't it? It is, yeah. So it's basically the SUV version of the Model 3, and the Model 3 is currently the best-selling EV in Australia. So... Uh, given how much Australians love EVs, I think this thing is going to go through the roof. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what are your th- your thoughts? You're driving it around? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's an impressive vehicle. So uh, pricing for Australia kicks off at just under $70,000. It may sound like a lot of money, but when you put it into context of some of the German SUVs that offer similar range and that kind of thing, uh, they're all priced at over $100,000. Mm. So um, the pricing is pretty sharp when you have a look at what, what sort of equipment that you get. Uh, two models, you're getting basically the entry-level rear-wheel drive, or you can get the performance model, which is just under $100,000. Um, I think the thing that's impressive with this is that it gives you instant access to the entire Tesla supercharging network as well. So you don't have to rely on some of these increasingly unreliable uh, public charging pieces of infrastructure. Okay, so all right, so that's uh, that's available too. Now, um, what does the Y give you more so than any of the others, apart from being an SUV? Look, it's more just um, the the space that's afforded by a dedicated EV platform. So, a lot of the other manufacturers that are doing EVs at the moment have taken an internal combustion platform and then electrified it, and as a result of that, you don't get the packaging and space efficiencies that you do with a vehicle that's been built from the ground up as an electric vehicle. And a good example here with the Model Y is when you open the boot, the boot is so deep that you can almost reach the ground. It is enormous. You've got storage in the front as well. And the floor in the second row is completely flat. So with the typical car, when you load into the second row, there's a big hump there for the driveline and the exhaust. Mm. Well, this has none of that. This has just a flat floor. Gee, okay, that sounds pretty good. Uh, something I've noticed with Teslas when you're behind them, or as I always am, never in them, but uh, <laughs> the the dual motor sign on the back, what does that mean? I see from your, your story this has that, that tag on the car. Well, that's a good question. So dual motor is basically, uh, it, it just means that there's two motors, and typically that just means that it's all-wheel drive. So you have one motor on the front axle, one motor on the rear axle, okay. and it means that you get the ability to get extra traction, um, the the vehicles that don't have that uh, don't have the badge, and that simply means that they're rear wheel drive. So uh, the other sort of um, little Easter egg there as well, if there's an underline under the dual motor, it means it's the performance version or the, the, the much faster one. <laughs> is that what performance means in in Tesla land uh, for the Y? Is it just a faster version of the Y? Yeah, exactly. So okay. and and to put that into context, it'll do. Uh, something like 250 kilometres an hour, and it'll do zero to 100 kilometres an hour in under four seconds. Wow. So it's a, a pretty a pretty quick beach. Yeah, put that on the Adelaide 500 grid. <laughs> That'll be interesting. <laughs> There'll be nothing left of the road. <laughs> yeah, that's, you've got to see that. Um, okay, so now the, y, the, the performance too, I imagine, would give you more range? Yeah, it does. So it comes with a bigger battery. There will be uh, an even... A bigger uh, sort of range version of the Model Y coming later this year, but currently you have the option of the entry level, which has around 450 kilometres of range, or the performance, which is just over 500 kilometres. The long range version will be somewhere in the vicinity of six or 650 kilometres when it lands later this year. Well, okay. So, all right. So, for for, for the normal version, the, the 70 grand version, how much mileage do you get out of that? 
So it's about 450 kilometres. So okay. that depends on your driving and the weather. There's a lot of caveats behind it. But I think it would be very safe to, to think, okay, I'm going to be able to travel 400 kilometres and I'm going to make it. So um, yeah. that, that's sort of typically the rule of thumb there with that. All right, so that's that compares to a you know a, a normal tank of fuel, as it were, about four hundred k's driving around the city. So that's comparable. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's about there and charging times, depending on what sort of charge you're using. If you're on a, a fast charger, for example, it's about a twenty minute charge. So it really isn't the end of the world in terms of waiting for this thing to top up either. Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? With a, a Tesla supercharger, I presume you mean. Yeah, exactly, or or any other brand. So with the public charging infrastructure, you can use any of those on a Tesla as well, uh, or alternatively, you can use the Tesla-branded ones, which um, which typically are exclusive just to Tesla. Yeah, right. Waiting times now, if you ordered one today, how long would you be waiting? <laughs> so um, I, I've bought one of these, and I got my order mm. in about four minutes after orders opened. By the end of the day, the orders were out by six months. Wow. And then by the end of the weekend, there was one year worth of backlogs. Are you kidding? So, yes. So that should give you a bit of an idea of just how in demand these vehicles are. So when I saw the, the wait times balloon out like that, I, I sort of got the impression that a lot of people had jumped on that order page and put their names down. Unbelievable. All right. So now, uh, would they all be taking them up, I wonder? I suppose they would, many of them. Well, I hope not, because it means I'll be <laughs> quicker in the queue, I guess. But, um, yeah, that's the thing. It, it's, it's a bit of a furphy there, yeah. their numbers, simply because it's a $350 deposit. So okay. you don't have to pay the full amount until your car arrives. And I think a lot of people, given what's going on in, in the world at the moment, are mm. probably going to, to end up cancelling their orders as well. So there, yeah. there is probably still a chance to get in the queue. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Now, tell me, is the Y going to be their biggest car? I've seen I've seen an enormous Tesla floating around. Is that the X, the one with the, the wing doors at the back? Is it, it called is, the yeah. X? So the, yeah. That's it. So the X is capable of seating seven. Uh, it, it's a much bigger vehicle. It's, it's higher performance, air suspension, all that sort of wow. stuff. Wow. But it's also much more expensive, so it yeah, starts right. off at around one hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah, okay. Well, you can buy two Ys for that, so two Ys <laughs> exactly. equal an X. Um, the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. Love to see a Tesla in that as well. But that's been extended in Melbourne just about forever now, almost as as yeah. much as the AFL Grand Final. Yeah, I know. It must have been a tough decision, given uh, we kind of <laughs> stripped them of the ability to run it the past couple of years because mm. of all our um, lockdowns and. Uh, I was pretty surprised to see they they extended it. I know that that um, Sydney was in the battle with um, with Melbourne to to take the rights for that, and I'm sure Adelaide was in there somewhere as well. Yeah. Um, but they are now locked into 2035. I heard something a figure of 60 million dollars a year is wow. what it costs the taxpayer, which is just unbelievable when you really sort of put that figure into into mind. So um, a big event, but big dollars as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm sure it would generate that in tourism, wouldn't it? And all the costs, all the teams coming over, the the fans travelling around the world to to see it, people from even around Australia heading into Melbourne, they'd get their money back through the economy. But gee, that's a lot of money per year. Wow, it is, and it, it was quite funny. The the event that just ran, I, I had a chance to go and. Uh, across the road from the Mercedes-Benz marquee and where you enter as well is is a hotel. And that hotel was something like $2,000 a night. But about two months before that, it was actually a COVID hotel. So oh, it was wow. a place that people were staying free of charge because <laughs> they had COVID. So 
it's a bit funny how it transforms overnight just because there's a, a car race across the road. Yeah, yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing. All right, well, the uh, the local businesses will be certainly happy with that decision, no doubt. Now, back to uh, EVs, uh, Tesla look like they're on the ball, Toyota not so, and shareholders aren't happy. Yeah, it's interesting. Toyota has been highly resistant to EVs, and it's ironic given they're the leaders in the hybrid space. Yeah. They kind of invented the hybrid with the Prius. And um, so Toyota's basically come out and said, no, we're, we're not going to bow to pressure from our shareholders who are wanting us to commit to just going to EV. And I think Toyota has a point as well. So they're talking about some uh, parts of the world and some countries that simply won't be capable of doing EVs. I mean, we've seen here in Australia at the moment there is uh, an energy crisis. We've only just got enough electricity to turn the lights on at the moment, and um, people are talking EVs. Well, there are some countries where the lights are off half the day because there's just no consistent power supply, and it's these countries where an EV doesn't make any sense at all. So I think Toyota still wants to stay in the game of internal combustion because someone has to service these markets where EVs won't be possible, and I think they're realising that it's a really good business opportunity while every other manufacturer starts committing entirely to EVs. Mm. Uh, because, you know, the combustion engine, people are many people are devoted to that, clearly, as well. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you can't charge the car, if, if you're in a third world yeah. country, there, there are some countries where you simply cannot charge an EV. I think it's, it's realistic to still have an affordable internal combustion option out there for people as well. And if you look at the, the, that Tesla example, $70,000, that is a lot of money. Yeah. And I think that you can't force that onto people, and especially in some of these other countries where they just don't have that money, you've yeah. got to still have affordable options. Absolutely. Now, Vic's called in about lithium-ion batteries, and I think the way they're produced, I reckon. Hello, Vic. Yes, good evening, gentlemen. Yeah, just from the Electric Vehicle Special Report from the Weekend Australian, and I quote, the storage capacity of lithium-ion batteries found in electric vehicles can begin to tip to uh, degrade as few as eight years with factors like uh, recharging frequency, the use of high-speed DC charges, and the exposure to high temperatures when parked, a particular problem in countries like Australia, uh, all impacting on the longevity of the cells. What have you say about that? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's just like a mobile phone, right? The longer you have it, the more the battery degrades. Uh, most manufacturers now have guarantees for batteries uh, for around eight years, that means that if the battery reaches less than 80% of its original capacity, they'll replace it free of charge. But what we have seen is that uh, cars are much smarter than phones. And what they're doing now with lithium-ion batteries is you charge it typically between 10 and 80% unless you need to do a longer trip. And that keeps the battery healthy. And that means that it has a life beyond that eight-year period. Uh, when they do get to that eight-year period, they generally start to see degradation in terms of their sort of original power capacity. And just quickly, have companies tested the cars, etc., SUVs, etc., when they say you get so many kilometres per distance, etc., before you charge, have they put four people in the car, packed it with luggage, towing a caravan or boat, and going that way to see how long the battery lasts? Have people have done that? Yeah, look, uh, that's that's the big problem with fuel efficiency figures, right? Um, any car you put four passengers in and, and tow, it's never going to make the official factory claim. EVs uh, are worse, though, because the second you start towing with them, you're immediately pulling extra weight, which will degrade um, the the range of the vehicle. In addition to that, EVs are also affected by cold climate. So Australia is not too bad because we have a a fairly sort of uh, standard climate. But if you look at some countries where it snows or you get to negative 20 degrees, an EV actually has to use its own battery power to heat the battery so that it can run efficiently. 
and that then yeah. means you're losing somewhere between 30 and 50% of the original range of wow. the vehicle just yeah. because it's cold. And see, the normality, the normality of a family is you don't just drive by yourself with no weight in the car somewhere. Normally, you have a family, you have kids, you've got luggage, you might have a boat or a caravan or a whatever. So they still have to think about that. It's just, I still don't see that it's going to work in a big country like Australia. Anyway, thank you for your time. Good on you, Vic. Yeah, well... No, there's some great points yeah. there, and that, that's the thing where the technology is very much in its infancy at the moment, yeah. and I think there needs to be some huge developments here to make it work for, for exactly those things. I mean, you think of a typical road trip where you're going to be loading the car up, you still need to know that you can re- reliably get to where you're going without it running out of battery. This is where I think hydrogen's going to win out long-term, I reckon, in a place like Australia too. You know, I mean, it's the old VHS beta debate, isn't it, to some degree? Yeah, exactly. In hydrogen, you fill the car quickly. Mm. Um, you can produce it at service stations as well. So there are a lot of merits to that. So, you know, I think I think it's um, the war is still yet to be won. <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right. Paul, thank you for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Good on you. And you can find all his stories, including on the new Tesla and uh, the other things we've talked about, the Grand Prix, the Toyota shareholders not happy with uh, the company there over EVs, everything at carexpert.com.au. 5AA Nights with Matthew Pantelis.